You're listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival, a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors, and in this episode, politicians. I'm Valerie Koo, and I'm the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, writer, and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, we discover the personalities and passions of people who meld their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country they call home. Dr Jeff Lee is the member for Parramatta. In March 2015, he won the New South Wales seat of Parramatta for the second consecutive term. This is the first time in 60 years the seat has been held by a Liberal Party member for two consecutive terms. However, Jeff wasn't always a politician and he feels that he fell into it accidentally. He was previously the Associate Dean at the University of Western Sydney and has also been Head of Program for Postgraduate Marketing and International Business. He also ran a garden centre for 10 years before going into academia. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jeff. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Now, tell us in the first instance, what does Lunar New Year mean to you? I think it's a wonderful time when we can celebrate our Asian heritage in Australia. We have many people, including myself, that have their ancestors born in in Asia or China or Korea or Japan or any of the Asian countries. Wonderful time when we can all get together and celebrate everything that's good about being Australian, time to spend with family and friends. Awesome. You're the member of Parramatta. When did you decide you wanted to get into politics and what did you want to achieve when you made that decision? Now, I'm interesting that I'm an accidental politician. I've never really been interested in politics, only my last job at the University of Western Sydney. Uh, I had the opportunity of um, being selected by the Liberal Party. So I've been a member of the party for eight years, but been an MP for seven and a half. So it's quite an accidental (laughs) politician in the right time, in the right place. So you achieved success fairly quickly when you decided to enter politics. Why did yeah, you decide was, to do it, it though? Even run. though you, even though it was accidental, why did you? What made you go? Okay, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, uh, you know, it's easy to sit there on the sidelines and criticise the show, but it's a lot harder to run the show. And I think, as normal people are, and we're all normal, that we sit there and we watch and go, why do politicians make such poor decisions or silly decisions or decisions that don't make any sense? So it's easy enough to criticise everybody, but if you really have that burning desire to make a difference, well, you put up your hand. And we have a wonderful democratic system here that every anybody who's a citizen can put up their hand and get elected, and then you represent people and try and do the best you can. So it's a great opportunity to actually change the lives of people in your own electorate and throughout the whole state. Mm. You mentioned your cultural heritage because you have uh, your. I understand your paternal grandfather was from southern China and moved to Australia in the 1920s, and your maternal ancestors are Scottish and English, arriving in Australia in the early 1800s. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you know about? about your heritage yes uh because of chinese maybe i'll concentrate on my chinese side of the family mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather first came um to china to australia from china in 1920 from Zhongshan. uh he established himself here uh, he had his father as well my great-grandfather also came in 1900s uh and they would return occasionally 
my grandfather then uh, had a market garden, worked on a market garden during the Second World War uh, out um, in Western Sydney, uh, and then had a small uh, produce type store that uh, that sold stuff to local um, farmers and things uh, in uh, Harbour Street in in uh, the Haymarket there. So they were typical of many migrants, worked very hard, small business people, um, and they cared about their, their children, they cared about their education, cared about their family. Um, and so that makes me a third-generation uh, Australian uh, Australian from Chinese heritage. So how much of each part of your heritage influences your you know general life these days? I would suggest the biggest part is that most... Chinese families care about education first, second, and third. Mm. And my parents were no different. The first thing they always care about is get a good education, do anything you can. Parents sacrifice their lives so that we can all get a great education. And the second thing I'd suggest that uh, Chinese, and, and many other people do as well, care about working hard. So as my father used to say, when it's not time to sleep, it's time for work. And when it's not time for work, it's time for sleep. So very hardworking people to establish themselves in Australia, to set up a business, take care of their families, uh, and then and then become typical Australians. Mm. Now, before you entered politics and before you were at uh, University of Western Sydney in academia, you all, you owned a garden centre. Was that influenced in any way by what your grandfather did? Like, why were you interested? Why did you decide to own a garden centre? Uh, I've always been a lover of plants and horticulture, so I'm a horticulturist by trade. So uh, I've always liked plants and retailing and landscaping were a natural fit with that with my undergrad degree in applied science horticulture. So I've always wanted to work with plants uh, from day one. I guess you could say it was probably more, um, it must be genetic then from my grandfather from his (laughs) days of working in a market garden. And so why did you then think, oh, I might do an MBA now, which you went on to do an MBA, then a Doctor of Business Administration? Why did That's quite different to running a garden centre. Uh, when I had the garden centre, it was, it, was, it was a good business. Uh, I had a landscaping part of it and I also had an indoor plant hire part of it. But eventually I got bored. I had it for 10 years and then I went and one of my customers one day asked me, he said, you should do an MBA. <laughs> I thought, really? oh, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that's that's that. And I went. Firstly, I went to the School of Law at a different university and said, oh, "If I do a you know a postgraduate degree in law, you know, can I become a lawyer?" And they said, "No." <laughs> I said, well, that didn't appeal to me. Uh, and then I thought I'd do a, an MBA, and it uh, sounded a good idea at the time. And uh, once I finished an MBA, I started that in two, uh, 1998. Finished in 2000. I enjoyed studying, I enjoyed learning, uh, and then they offered me to do a doctoral program at Macquarie Graduate School, so then I got my doctorate. But why did you do it? Did you actually think, I'm bored, I'm now going to do an entire master's, or was there a grandmaster plan at the end, you know, you were going to do it so that you could then get into some other field? What was, why? It's Because it's a big undertaking, it's not just saying you're going to go do a two-hour workshop at the evening college. I, it was an interesting thing because it wasn't – I was one of the few people in my MBA course. You you find a lot of people wanting to do it to get their next rung up the ladder or get it on their CV. And, in fact, for me, I was self-employed, so it didn't make any difference to me. I just enjoyed learning. I enjoyed um, looking at the world from a different perspective uh, and learning about how other people do different things. So when you came out of it, 
did you plan to go into academia or was was that accidental as well? No, that was a little bit of an accident. I sold my business in 2001 uh, and I had a year off. Um, I worked seven days a week like most small business people for 10 years and then um, then I thought I'd better do something in about 2002 and then I got the job part-time teaching at, at TAFE. And then mm-hmm. eventually I taught there for a couple of years and then managed to secure a position at uh, Western Sydney Uni as a lecturer in did 2004. You, did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. I, I love the university and one day I'll go back to there. I'm not, I always say I'm not a career politician, that's for sure. The best job I ever had was at university. Really? And what surrounded, did you? Yeah. Yeah, why? What were you going to say? The, uh, the, the opportunity to be surrounded by young, bright people, uh, people that want to learn, to be able to shape their learning, uh, not as, as you know, the sage on stage, but to facilitate discussions, to see them being successful and to impart, um, impart your knowledge and give them some, and whether they choose to take it or not is, is a different thing, but being able to influence, you know, a class. And one of my colleagues once said to me, which I always remember, if at the end of the semester you've, you've changed one person, you've been successful that year. Mm. So at university, I could change a class of, in say, if you have a tutorial group, 20 people. If when I was associate dean at Western Sydney University, I could change 10,000 people who did our courses in terms of the way we teach them, the way they learn and the way they work with industry. As a politician, you can actually change 50, 100,000 people mm-hmm. every time that you do something that's good. So the levels of magnitude is great. I never realized in politics what an influence over general daily life that you can actually have. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, being from an Asian family, education is really important comes first second and third I love that um where where was your education like where did you grow up and and you know what was your schooling like well I had a typical um middle class suburban schooling grew up at Castle Hill went to Castle Hill Infants Castle Hill Public School Castle Hill High School (laughs) um so I was a, a, a normal, uh, a run-of-the-mill um, person in suburbia middle class. Then I had the opportunity to study in the U.S. as a, an exchange student. Mm-hmm. Then I came back to Sydney, and then uh, after a little while working, I um, chose Hawkesbury Agricultural College to do a degree in applied science in horticulture, and those were the days when then they had the best uh, horticulture course. So whether at school or in your career or any aspect of life, did you feel ever feel that your cultural heritage has ever been an asset or a hindrance in any of your endeavours? I think like many kids, when you grow up in somewhere like Castle Hill in, in the 70s, when you're in uh, high school and primary school and early 80s, mm. that what you wanted to be is just like everybody else. And there weren't a lot of Chinese kids in those days. In fact, I was one of the two Chinese kids at our school with 1,600 people at Castle Hill High School. So it was a very different different um, mix of people's heritage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say it would be dominated by Anglo-Saxon. And I guess I heard something on the um, on the TV the other day, which I think describes it best. It's when they said that when you're growing up, it's painful to grow up feeling that you're different until you realize that you're special. Mm-hmm. So when you're growing up, you don't want to be Chinese. You just want to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But when you grow up, you realize that, you know, you should be proud of being an Australian, but also equally proud of your heritage where you've been and where you've come from. 
And at what point did you think you came to that realisation? Um, I think it was, wasn't until later in life, till my 30s. Your 30s? Really? Yeah. Why is yeah. that? Why th- what happened in your 30s that made you think this? I probably went through a midlife crisis like most people. <laughs> 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 what am I doing? <laughs> I remember selling my business and it was the happiest, one of the happiest days of my life. Okay, wow. A few days in your life you remember. It's, it's, you know, small business is tough. I have the utmost respect for small business people. Not many people manage to survive 10 years. Not many people manage to sell their business when they finish, and I was able to do both. Yes. Uh, but it was certainly a happy day to unleash the um, bonds of seven day a week. You know, people, I remember Christmas, everybody loves Christmas, but as a small business person, what do you do? You work Christmas Day because yes. someone has to water the plants. Yeah, right. You have no choice. Wow. So you obviously had a turning point when you sold your business. Is that when you had your midlife crisis and rediscovered your identity? Um, I think so. And it's rediscovered about what's possible and what you could do. It was great to go to university and work at a university because you actually mix with some very intelligent people. Not all that you actually agree with, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I think university should be a place where you hear, hear um, different views on life, mm-hmm. uh, different perspectives, different paradigms, and it makes you a, a, a smarter person to actually consider that the whole world doesn't see it in the same colours that you see life in. Um, and that gave me the opportunity then to say that you could actually influence people's lives. So I say as an employer, when I had my small business, I, you know, I could influence about 10 people. They were my, they were my staff. You know, you provide their wages every week and, you know, so they could pay their mortgages. At university, you know, when I was associate dean, you could do 10,000 people because that's how many people we had in our college. But as a politician, you can do massive change. Yeah, right. As a politician, then, what's the most challenging thing about the work that you do? Um, my own party. Right. Uh, so uh, people are generally very nice to me uh, in politics. Uh, most people are very respectful and nice, and whilst we always may not agree, most people are really good about it, and we have wonderful people in Parramatta. I would say that my own party and the machinations of politics are a particular um, uh, difficulty that uh, a complete waste of time and perhaps that's why I'm the uh, backbencher from Parramatta because I have tried to play no part in those games that some people play. Mm, that must be frustrating. Um, once you realise where you're at and you're not prepared to play that political game, I think it makes it a lot easier. And in fact, it makes it a lot more powerful to say that I don't want to be Premier. Why do I care about that? What I care about is that people in Parramatta are getting resources and getting the projects that I think that the community deserves up and running. Mm. And so been, uh, very so successful. You mentioned that being a small business owner, you don't get a day off. You're always on. But I imagine it's somewhat like that when you're a politician, a sitting member. So is it? Uh, politics for me is seven days a week, mm. um, probably five nights a week. So it is very similar to running your own small business as a backbencher politician, absolutely. Mm. The difference is yes. why I pay so much tribute to small business is because they make decisions with their own money. Yeah. 
So every time someone wants to advertise or every time you have a staff problem or you need a new computer, somebody pays, you know, when you're a small business and that's you. So I remember clearly when uh, I used to run quite large landscape jobs are anywhere between $5,000 to $250,000. So cash flow was always difficult. Mm. So for three weeks in a row, I went down to the bank, withdrew $10,000. In those days, you paid cash, you know, at the end of the week, you know, obviously accounting. But three weeks later... You know, I had no more money left in my bank account, but you still had to pay your wages at the end of the week because yeah. you have to pay people at the end of the week. And they're the responsibilities you have as a small business, mm. um, which is a really tough thing. But So when you work for an employer, well, magically every two weeks or every month, payments deposit in your account. It's just like magic. <laughs> I can't believe how great it is. <laughs> and someone takes the, takes, the, takes the tax out of it too and worries about your workers' comp insurance and worries about your OH&S. When you're a small business owner, you're the person that's responsible for everything. Yeah. Um, what has been the highlight of your career, any one of your careers so far? Um, I think in, in, in working for myself, it was a survival and growing a business that we were able to sell. Mm-hmm. Not many people run businesses for over 10 years that they can actually sell. I think as a as an academic, it was um, bringing uh, a different way of teaching to our final year students in terms of working with industry and uh, partners, so that students could demonstrate their skills. Not just they learn lots at university, and everybody criticises university students for having lots of theory and knowledge, but then they could actually demonstrate that knowledge in capstone subjects. And probably for as a politician, uh, it's the delivery of a record amount of investment in Parramatta over $5 billion for Parramatta and 10,000 decentralised staff. So reshaping the way Parramatta is seen to the importance for the whole state. Mm. Um, they're great highlights. What have been some of the toughest or lowest you know, challenges that you've had to go through? Um, business-wise? When you don't have any work on and you have to pay 10 people yeah. <laughs> and you have no money, yeah, that's always tough. That's pretty challenging. That's um, challenging. I think uh, as a politician, now that I'm a politician, I think uh, for me the hardest thing is probably the work doesn't worry me. I can work seven days a week. I know I can work harder than most people. But mm. probably the hardest thing is the internal politics that you have to play. That, that it's yeah. like a vortex that sucks you in and, and then you have to fight to keep out of it. And, in fact, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Mm. So my job is to get on and deliver for the community, not, you know, fight with other, you know, colleagues and things about who gets, you know, the next minister's job or who becomes a premier. I have no interest in that. Mm-mm. And circling back then to your cultural heritage, what uh, aspects of your cultural heritage do you incorporate into your family, your own traditions in in, in what you do? Um, I thought it was very interesting that I was able to actually visit my grandfather's uh, hometown in Jongsan right. um, and look at the family house. The family house is still there. Oh, wow. Uh, and, then, and then visit it. 
uh, and then see some of them my relatives, which I've never seen before. Wow. Um, it, it's very interesting that you could actually be born in Australia and how lucky we are to be born in Australia. And you, you look at people in China, and whilst their standard of living is, is, is a lot better than it was, um, the fortunate position about being here has made it, you know, the reality is anyone in Australia is, is very wealthy compared to world standards. We are a wealthy nation and we're a very privileged nation and we mm-hmm. shouldn't forget about that. So I think when you go and see people, not in, not only in China, but other developing countries, uh, that you say how lucky we are to be Australian and how lucky we are to be a modern society built upon waves of different migration, and we're very good at assimilating those people. And I would suggest to you that the Chinese are some of the best migrants in the world. Mm. Uh, they tend to be law-abiding and strong contributors to the economy, and they tend to integrate very quickly into society. So first generation perhaps don't talk a lot of English, but after that, yeah, by second and third generation, they're just like any normal little kid that runs around the school playground. They're just, they just want to be little Aussie kids. Yes. And what made you decide to go and see your grandfather's house, and what was it like meeting these relatives who you'd never met before? Um, it was an interesting experience. Um, I went there because sometimes I go for work for to China uh, as part of my parliamentary secretary's role or sometimes I go there on vacation. But certainly to see the relatives was very interesting because my grandfather, who owned the shop in the Haymarket, used to actually send money back to the relatives in China and without that money during the Cultural Revolution uh, that they all would have starved. Um, so they they felt a great um, sense of indebtedness of that somebody from Australia, you know, who they knew and who was a relative, would send money back so that they they didn't starve during the difficult times in China. And finally, with the year of the pig, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, it, it's a great time to get together with family and friends. As a politician, you often don't spend enough time with the people that love you most. I think it's important that we spend that time together. I think you can celebrate, you can go out to dinner. I love the uh, Chinese New Year celebrations. Uh, there wouldn't be two days in a row where I wouldn't be at a Chinese New Year celebration <laughs> for that whole month period. A lot of eating. A lot of eating. All right. And a lot on, of food. On that note, thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. No, thank you. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jeff Lee. One of the things that Jeff mentioned is that there would not be two days in a row during the Lunar New Year period that he wouldn't be at a celebration. While you might think that's because he has lots of engagements as a politician, and that's possibly true, this is actually very common in Chinese culture. Lunar New Year is basically a time for visiting. Each day you visit different relatives and friends to celebrate the new year with them, and it's during these visits that you eat a lot and where children, and in some cases unmarried adults, receive the red packets, which are full of money. So while kids might usually dislike going to people's houses with their parents, many of them are happy to do this during the new year period because they love it when they get their red packets, or ang baos or hong bao. Usually when you're visiting, you would bring a small gift, and often this is in the form of oranges or mandarins. It's common for each visitor to bring two oranges or mandarins and give these to your host. They'll often give you two oranges or mandarins in return as well. The colour of the oranges is like gold, which symbolises good fortune. So the humble orange is actually more significant than you might think. Thanks for listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival. 
My name's Valerie Koo, and you can connect with me at valeriekoo.com. That's K-H-O-O. To find out more about the City of Sydney's Sydney Lunar Festival, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. Or to find out more about the people featured in this podcast and any of the links I've mentioned, go to newstories.net.au. 